Hello, and welcome to The Kink Perspective. My name's Chris. I'm a psychotherapist and consultant. On today's episode, I am going to focus on something that I've seen kind of popping up a little bit in social media. I want to talk about some of the aspects of it, um, how it affects us within the lifestyle, and um, more specifically, how it affects men and their partners in the lifestyle. Today, I want to dive into the topic of hypermasculinity and its implications within the BDSM community. So let's kind of first start out understanding and defining um, what hypermasculinity really is, right? So to begin, let's establish a clear understanding of hypermasculinity. In its essence, hypermasculinity refers to an exaggerated or an extreme form of masculinity. It typically entails the amplification of traditionally masculine traits such as physical strength, assertiveness, and dominance. Now, some of these traits are inherent, right? Not all of these are grown over time. While these characteristics can be present and celebrated within BDSM dynamics, it's important for us to understand and to distinguish between healthy expressions of dominance and the potential pitfalls of hypermasculine ideals. So let's look at hypermasculinity within the context of BDSM. So when we look at this, how hypermasculinity kind of affects the community in a larger sense, this goes beyond the traditional societal norms of masculinity, right? It often, as I said before, kind of this amplification, this greater sense of being of ourselves for these masculine attributes and behaviors. Like we see somebody who's really fit or they're very overly confident um, or overly dominant. While these characteristics can be present and celebrated within BDSM dynamics in the community, it's important that they, we understand the difference between healthy expressions of dominance and the pitfalls of these masculine ideals. Within the lifestyle itself, power exchange and dynamics are these fundamental aspects that we adhere to for the most part and for the majority of us. Hypermasculinity comes in, and this can lead to an imbalance in power and goes beyond the consensual boundaries established by their partners. So it's really crucial to remember here that as our community places a great emphasis on informed consent, negotiation, effort, respect, and trust, we are not violating the boundaries that we've all set forth. So Exploring this concept of hypermasculinity within BDSM really requires careful consideration of how it aligns with these principles and ensuring that all parties that are involved in a dynamic or even in the greater community feel safe and respected and they feel empowered to express their own desires. They're not feeling stifled or talked down to. They're not being looked at as less than or inferior just because they don't possess some of these characteristics, right? And that becomes one of the important parts. So how does hypermasculinity and power dynamics kind of work? 
Well, par power dynamics lie at the core of BDSM relationships, right? There's an erotic power exchange here. There's a total, for some, there's a total power exchange where partners engage in these consensual acts of dominance and submission. However, we really have to keep in mind that this is a, it's essential to differentiate between healthy and potentially harmful aspects of hypermasculinity. In BDSM, power isn't synonymous with oppressive or coercive behavior. And I hear or read a lot about this, or when I'm working with my clients, unfortunately, this becomes a trend. And when we're talking about these types of dominance or people that are labeling themselves as dominance, they're not really acting in a dominant manner. They are becoming more oppressive or manipulative, right? As we understand that the power exchange is rooted in trust, it's rooted in the negotiations we have and the explicit consent of everybody that's involved, and then working within those parameters together to grow and evolve the dynamic that we're now in. When we leave hypermasculinity unchecked, it can blur these lines and lead to power imbalances that are, I don't know, they undermine our, the principles that we've set forth, not only between the two partners of the community, but BDSM itself. So to foster these open lines of communication and to ensure that everybody involved have the agency to express their desires and set their limits, we really have to have conversations about where we're at. This is when we talk. I talk about, or I've talked about when I've done public engagements about you have to have check-ins and you should be having weekly check-ins with each other. And this isn't just a time to reaffirm our power balance. It's, you know, to check in and see, you know, I talked about last week about punishments and why they shouldn't be happening, at least within the first six months, if not year of a relationship, because it's a learning curve. You're learning about each other. So to keep this healthy power dynamic moving forward and we understand that there's a lot of mutual understanding and respect going on here as we build our BDSM foundation together. We have to acknowledge the importance of consent that we constantly talk about and the ongoing consent checking throughout not just our scenes, but our relationships like I just mentioned before. We can't just become complacent and think somebody's okay or somebody's happy or that they were fine with us doing something. We have to constantly be in contact. We can't just let our masculinity say, oh, they're fine. Even me, nine years in, I'm still checking in. Regardless if I'm with a masochist or not, I still check in. I know how she reacts, how she breathes, how a scene goes, but I still check in. So now I want to kind of look at hypermasculinity and the toxicity we hear sometimes that favorite word, toxic masculinity. Now, we understand that BDSM celebrates this exploration of these power dynamics, our erotic fantasies, and it actively seeks to reject toxic masculinity. Now, I would argue that masculinity itself isn't toxic. It comes down to the person who it is. I believe, personally, masculinity for most men is something to aspire to. However, harmful behaviors can arise from masculinity itself and this is when we start seeing people just saying somebody has toxic masculinity traits and that's really how they should be referring to somebody but i think they start just lumping people together it's like when we start saying <clears throat> somebody's a narcissist 
Well, in actuality, very few people on the planet are, are diagnosed with narcissism. Different story, though. Toxic masculinity encompasses these traits like emotional detachment, aggression, and objectification of others, and not objectification in a good way, only seeing them as maybe a conquest. These behaviors contradict the principles of consent, effort, communication, trust building, respect, and that they're, which we all know is integral to our lifestyle. Toxic expressions of hypermasculinity have no real place within our community. Instead, the community encourages us to grow our emotional intelligence, for the most part, not every community does, our empathy and the active pursuit of consent. But as I've explained to people, everybody's version of safety, empathy, consent is all different to each person. Now, some of you may gasp at that concept, but the reality of what you feel safe, what your levels of consent are, are going to be different from somebody else's. It doesn't make them you any more right and them any more wrong. By fostering an environment that prioritizes open dialogue, which I consistently talk about, self-reflection, education, ongoing education within our lifestyle, we as individuals within the community can challenge and dismantle some of these toxic aspects of hypermasculinity itself. It's essential to support one another in embracing healthy masculinity, which values communication, connection, respect, and shared trust, and experiences that are built on all of these things. So how do we go about challenging this concept? Challenging hypermasculinity within the BDSM community requires a commitment to self-reflection and dialogue, and some people aren't going to be open to that. However, sitting down with somebody and having an individual start examining their own beliefs, their own biases, and assumptions about roles of masculinity or presence can be a beginning. Now, not every person's role is just going to be challenged or their ideas are going to change just because we're having them talk or do self-reflect. And that's an important thing we need to know because not everybody believes the same thing that everybody else believes in, right? But by engaging in introspection, people can identify how their hypermasculinity ideals may have been influenced and influence their understanding of power dynamics. Communication, I always come back to this word, becomes the key to addressing this trait, especially within a BDSM context. Partners must engage in ongoing conversations about boundaries, desires, consent, future goals, trainings. These discussions should encompass not only the physical, but the emotional and mental connection, our well-being, and they should be nurturing of a healthy power dynamic in its essence and core. We already know that we have to prioritize consent and negotiation and mutual understanding, but individuals that are navigating the complexities of hypermasculinity while fostering this environment can make and create a space where they're empowering a growth for all parties involved. So how do we navigate this landscape? Well, navigating hypermasculinity within the BDSM lifestyle requires a mindful approach <clears throat> to power dynamics and constant consideration of well-being of all the participants involved. And that's stepping outside of just ourselves, then a potential partner, or 
the community we interact with. It's everybody that's involved. It's essential for us to create an atmosphere that encourages emotional intelligence, empathy, consent. And for some men, that's not very difficult or that's not very easy to do. Communication is the cornerstone in negotiating boundaries, establishing practices and rituals, protocols, and provides ongoing feedback. And if anybody, if you've listened to me long enough or if you've read what I've written, I constantly talk about communication. I'm always having, whenever I'm writing something, communication, right? Partners engaging with hypermasculine expressions should actively engage in self-awareness and reflection. They should be aware of the potential for power and balances and ensure that their actions align with the principles of consent and respect. Regular check-ins, again, both during, after scenes, throughout the week, or whatever you've negotiated along the way, helps address any concerns or discomfort that may arise. By growing this environment of trust and understanding, our community can explore power dynamics in ways that are consensual, fun, safe, explorative, and the most part, satisfying. Navigating hypermasculinity requires this commitment to continuous learning of self-improvement, of self-learning, of self-understanding, and an ongoing dialogue about healthy expressions of what masculinity within the context of BDSM means to you, right? We understand this because we are shaped by these societal norms, right? Maybe we had parents that told us one thing about being masculine compared to somebody else. So are there any benefits to hypermasculinity? Well, glad you asked. Hypermasculinity can present all these pitfalls within our community as I've kind of discussed before. But it's important to acknowledge here that there can be benefits associated with it. Now, we do have to approach these benefits with caution and assure that they align with the principles that we've discussed before. Respect, trust, effort, kindness, empathy, care, nurturing, right? So that all parties who are involved feel comfortable and heard. One of the biggest or potential benefits of hypermasculinity within our community is the heightened sense of power and the intensity it can bring to a power exchange dynamic. For individuals who are drawn to dominant roles, embracing hypermasculine traits such as physical strength or assertiveness can enhance and intensify the dominance and provide a deeper sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. When I'm controlling mine, and if we're in a heavy impact scene where we're using ceramic beads uh, attached to a flogger and she's being beat or... Um, we're doing some light types of form or I'm seeing types of form or branding going on, that erotic pack and forth, that power exchange is intoxicating. And I know some people think, you know, even from that definition, my God, are you talking about harm? There is a difference between hurt and harm. I've talked about that before. We're talking about consensual hurt. And sadists kind of live in this world where we really enjoy inflicting hurt because we're doing it in a loving manner. And in that essence, it draws us in and we tend to want more. 
you know, a couple of weeks back, I was involved in a scene where I got to use a mask, which is why now I'm want to do a show on it because I think there's some real hidden things, and I've had some great responses to by some people. Definitely going to be a show coming out. Kind of segueing here a little bit, but let me get back to this. I, not everything about hyper-masculinity is wrong. It can contribute to a strong, confident persona within the BDSM context itself. It allows individuals to embody and explore archetypal roles and fantasies, which can lead to heightened senses of self-awareness, personal growth, and increased confidence. I don't know one dominant person that doesn't want to be confident when they're wielding an implement or rigging somebody or doing an impact scene we have to be know we're in charge it has to be inherent moreover hypermasculinity can be a source of empowerment and liberation for those who actively choose to embrace and express it within the boundaries of informed consent and it can provide in my example a sense of agency and liberation from those expectations that society has placed which allows individuals to explore and embrace the desires and fantasies authentically. For some of us, sadistically. It is crucial to remember, though, that these potential benefits have to be balanced with this deep understanding of the principles that underpin our healthy dynamics. Consent, communication, respect. These remain these components of any BDSM relationship that become the cornerstone foundation of not only a scene, but everything else we are doing within the lifestyle. Even whether or not we embrace hyper-masculinity. It's important to approach this within the BDSM community with critical and nuanced perspectives. By recognizing and navigating these potential benefits and challenges associated with it, individuals can create these consensual and empowering experiences that align with the core principles of BDSM. Now, that line there that I wrote, I know is going to be a source of contention for some people because core BDSM, what does that mean? You know, I'm surprised on some days whether or not people can even agree on consent and communication. We've kind of lost, in my objective view, we have lost a little bit of what core BDSM means, and that's fine. I know I don't sacrifice my high protocol beliefs and my rituals and my task orientations just because I want to streamline this to make this better because ultimately the goal is to have sex. Sex and BDSM are not synonymous. If that's your end game, more power to you. Probably not a lifestyler, more kinky. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're coming at this with a hyper-masculine sense and you're just looking to dominate people to have sex with them, you're removing the essences of what you truly are joining the community for. And personally, I would tell you, you're missing out. I explored, I, I was explaining to someone recently that a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, um, he goes by the name of Iron. He knows who he is. He listens. He's a good, good friend of mine. Iron is a poly dominant. And... Um, currently has three submissives, but his third submissive currently is only girl three. She has no name, no identifiers yet. She's been with him for three years. Now, in all essences, they are in a dynamic, but she has only now just received her collar of consideration. 
after two years of being kind of under his protection and um, he's more traditional and he follows a pattern. It will be a minimum of five years of her effort, her her push, her explore, <clears throat> exploration within the lifestyle itself for her to just, for her to prove that she wants to be a part of it. And that's a long commitment for a lot of people. They don't ever get to that distance and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's just one example of how far people are willing to take things into this lifestyle. For others, if you're getting to the point where you're being coerced into relationships or you're falling prey into relationships within a couple of weeks, you're not you're you're shortchanging yourself. And we come back then to the same stories that we consistently see on social media about I was in a dynamic and I got collared within a couple of weeks and then it all fell apart while so-and-so was having sex or they didn't listen and, well, you didn't figure each other out. You, you can take your time. Just because you're masculine, you don't need to give erroneous orders that have make no sense just to exert your dominance. Dominance has to be inherent before you can still call yourself a dominant. And I know that question is going to be sitting there for a lot of people trying to figure out what I'm saying. But it really has to come from within. It's hard to teach and learn dominance if you're not a dominant person. And I'll probably do a show on the, the faux side of the whole alpha male and beta male type thing because that's been pushed around psychologically for so long, but that's wrong. But it kind of falls within that purview of, I believe I have to act in this manner. No, it's not it either. I don't have to walk around the room and thump my chest for people to know I'm dominant. That's not what it is. And that's, you know, and, and on the other hand, just because I open a door for myself or my submissive or uh, my friends, that doesn't make me any less dominant and doesn't make me any less masculine, nor does it make me toxic. It's just a balance. It's courtesy and it's respect that I have for others. So I've taken you on this journey today about hypermasculinity within our community. I've talked about some of these challenges I've talked about the risks that are associated with this um, and how to approach these things with care, how they align with consent and respect and our mental and emotional well-being with everybody involved. How we challenge these concepts, how we open up the lines of communication, how we take these into a healthy expression of our dynamics and to a grander sense, how we create this empowering space within our community for those that are. So I'd love to hear some of your feedback on this today, your thoughts on it. If you do follow me on Spotify and you're using the app, I do ask if you can rate me five stars so other people can find me. I do have a book out, Tangled Desires, the Intersection Between BDSM and Psychology. It's out wherever you get your um, electronic books. I am going into a second edition. There will be a price change on that. Um, said that last week, but I'll kind of keep reminding everybody. So, um, but yes, I would definitely want to hear your feedback on this episode, what you thought, tell me, you know, maybe any experiences with hypermasculinity. And so we can discuss it and keep this discussion moving forward until next time, everybody. 
be safe and stay cozy. Cool.